the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We're going to, our passage this morning is verses 24 through 29. And the title of the message this morning is The Skeptic. Or we want to give it a subtitle, Seeing and Believing. And as you all know, today we are celebrating the greatest event in the history of the Church of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And without this event, there would be no church. There would be no salvation. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that transformed his disciples into zealous preachers of the gospel. And it brought dramatic and eternal changes into the lives and the hearts of multitudes of people throughout the whole world over the last 2,000 years plus. And God wants to do that with you this morning, bring about a dramatic change in your life. The Apostle Paul summed it up when he said, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. And here's the worst part. And you are still in your sins. Now there are many observances in our day in reference to the resurrection. A lot of people celebrating the resurrection today. For for example, the fact that churches hold services on Sunday is a testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which changed the day of worship from Saturday Sabbath to the first day of the week, the day when Jesus rose from the grave. Another example is Easter. One of the greatest religious celebrations of the year is Easter. And that all came about because of the resurrection. Even though sad to say, the season, Easter season, is terribly perverted by many celebrations that we see take place. And off the top of my head, I think of what is called spring break. It used to be Easter break. When I was in school, it was Easter break. Now we've changed it to, to, to spring break. We've changed Christmas uh, season or Christmas break to winter break. You see, people want to take Jesus Christ out of everything. Out of the court, out of the school, out of people's life. Because that way, that way they think, I don't have to be accountable to God for the way I live. For what I do. That'll never change. We are accountable to God. And one day we will stand before God. And we will, we will again, stand before him and give an account. What do we see in spring break? One of these great celebrations that everybody just can't wait to get to. Drunkenness. Drugs. You see it on the news. Lewdness. Promiscuity. Rowdiness. That's how people, some people celebrate Easter break. What does any of that have to do with Jesus Christ? Still the fact it's remained faithfully every year confirms the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And without the resurrection, there would be no Easter observances at all. When Jesus resurrected back in his day, the news 
of Jesus' resurrection was alive and it began to spread around his followers, among his followers, at first with hesitation, but then with enthusiasm. Even his disciples didn't believe at first. And Thomas demanded proof. But wherever people were confronted, challenged with the reality of his resurrection, their lives were transformed. And the same transforming experience can be yours today, this morning. If you'll be open and honest. As you see in our passage this morning, the changes that took place in the lives of people, ask yourself this morning, have I personally met the risen Christ? Has he changed my life? Read with me, if you will, now, John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. It says, Now Thomas called a twin, because he was a twin, and a brother. Now Thomas called a twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. And look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now this is the sixth time that Jesus appeared to his disciples as a group recorded here in Scripture after his resurrection. This is the first recorded appearance after his resurrection that didn't take place on Resurrection Sunday, that Easter. A week has now passed here in our passage. It's eight days after the resurrection. And again, the, the, the most significant day of all days. Now, while this post-resurrection appearance was with the disciples as a group, it mainly focuses on one disciple, Thomas. And I pray this morning that that would be the focus this morning on that one person here, maybe more, that doesn't know Christ. Thomas, who had shown a lot of skepticism about the resurrection of Jesus Christ during the preceding week, is going to see Christ in this, in this appearance. And we'll see at the end of this chapter, the incident really fits in with the purpose for John writing this gospel, which was to emphasize that Jesus Christ was God. John chose various events in Jesus' life to especially prove that Jesus was God. And this incident with Thomas was most important in doing so. Thomas' statement at the end of the incident could be said to be the climactic statement of the Gospel of John. Now, what we want to do, we want to look at this, 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 this disciple Thomas. We want to look at why he didn't believe. We want to see what Thomas missed because he wasn't with or in, in, in let's say, church 
with his disciples. Uh, he wasn't with them that evening. We want to see what he missed, why he missed it. And we want to see the answer to Thomas's problem, if you will. So let's begin first by looking at the problem that Thomas had. What does it say in verse 27? It was unbelief. Thomas's problem was unbelief, the problem that many have today. Jesus said Thomas was unbelieving. The word unbelieving means faithless. And we have to be honest. We have to ask ourselves, why don't we believe? So we ask, why don't we believe? And then, as we look at Thomas, we'll see that why we don't believe, none of it, none of it holds water. None of it holds water. The world doesn't think unbelief is a problem. And they often honor those who side with unbelief in the word of God the Bible, and in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that unbelief is a huge problem because it says without faith it is impossible to please God. And many people think they're going to please God and go to heaven because they say the right things, they do the right things, but if it's without faith, it's not going to please God because it's done from my heart, it's done for, for my reasons. It's what I think I should do and rather than what God says I should do. So let's examine this problem of, of unbelief in, in Thomas this morning and, and, and the troubles that many people experience today because of unbelief. Notice it says about Thomas here. Notice it says, Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. All right, in this particular incident here, it says that Thomas was not with Jesus, uh, was not with the 12 when Jesus came. All right, this is referring to the meeting that Jesus had with the disciples on the first Easter Sunday, eight days before. So eight days before, when Jesus met the disciples, he wasn't there. Why wasn't Thomas there with the other disciples that first Sunday night? When Jesus appeared in person to the disciples, the basic answer is his lack of faith. His lack of faith. People who lack faith are not going to be seen much at church, if at all. When our faith is lacking, our fellowship, our companionship, our company with fellow believers uh, is going to be lacking as well. Our church attendance is going to be lacking. And people often make a lot of excuses for their lack of attending church and for their lack of fellowship with the brothers and the sisters. And, for, uh, 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 and the main reason is often unbelief. Thomas's failure to be with his disciples, or as we would say, his failure to be in church on that, e on that evening resulted in missing out on some special blessings. Basically, what Thomas missed by not being there that night is what many people miss when they miss church. And, and again, not being legalistic, but, but many reasons for, for missing church, nonetheless, we still miss out on the blessings just the same. Yes, people get sick and they have to work and things like that, but for the most part, when we choose not to be in church, we miss out on many blessings where God said he wants to bless us. 
The lack of fellowship with the saints, the lack of fellowship with fellow brothers and sisters resulted from a lack of faith with Thomas. And this lack of fellowship resulted in a lack of blessings from Jesus. One of the blessings that Thomas missed was peace. One of the blessings that Thomas missed was peace. Because at the first meeting with the disciples, Jesus said this, be, peace be with you. Peace be with you. But Thomas wasn't there. Thomas missed receiving that peace because he wasn't with them. And for a whole week, his heart was troubled instead of being at peace because of his lack of fellowship with his fellow disciples. And you know what? There are many hearts today that are troubled. There are many troubled hearts today as a result of lacking fellowship with the church. Skipping church does not promote peace. Instead, it promotes problems. People want peace today. People are searching for peace today. The world needs peace today. Are you, are you watching the news? Ukraine and Russia? Racial divide in our own country? Violence increased? The world needs peace. It's looking for peace. It's hurting for peace. But they're looking in all the wrong places. At the first meeting with the disciples as a group after the resurrection, notice what Jesus it says in verse 20. It says, Jesus showed them his hands and his side. Thomas missed the blessing of the proof he was looking for. The very thing that Thomas wanted to see, he missed at that first appearance of Christ. The very things that a lot of people want to learn and see, they miss because they're not in church where the Bible is taught, where they can learn about those things. These things that Jesus showed the disciples at that first meeting gave proof of his resurrection. He said, look, it's me. He says, here's my hands. Here's my side. Look at the, the wounds in my hands and my feet. Look at the nail prints. It's me. Thomas didn't believe in the resurrection until a week later because he had missed that Sunday evening with his disciples. You see, skipping fellowship with the saints, it doesn't help your faith. It hinders your progress and your growth in the faith. It keeps you, it helps to keep you weak in the faith. You know what Thomas also missed? was a, he, uh, The blessing of pleasure. Jesus' appearance to the disciples that first Easter Sunday evening resulted in joy for the disciples. Look at verse 20. What does it say? Then the disciples were glad. They were glad when they saw Jesus. Thomas was not a happy person that following week. Thomas was miserable. He showed, that, he showed that he was miserable when he met up with the disciples, as we'll see later. Joyous saints are not those who are not in the fellowship of the body of Christ. This world does not give you real joy. This world does not give you lasting joy. Thomas didn't believe in the resurrection, and without the hope of the res resurrection, Paul said this, we are of all men most pitiable. Thomas's lack of fellowship and joy all point back to his lack of faith. Unbelieving. 
At the first meeting with Jesus, he gave the disciples an assignment for service. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you, in verses 21 through 23, earlier in the, scripture, in the passage here. So he missed out on the blessing of service. What did Jesus do? Jesus gave Thomas purpose in life. Do you know what your purpose is in life? Do you know why you're here? Do you know why God created you? But Thomas wasn't there at that meeting to receive the assignment of service by Christ. And much of the world today are wandering around looking for purpose. They're looking for meaning in life. And in that search, they wander from relationship to relationship. They wander from job to job, from, from, from uh, you know, uh, place to place, hoping to find what it, that, that, that meaning in life, what they're looking for. If you stay away from the fellowship of Christ and from the services where you learn of Christ, where the Bible is taught, you'll be one of those many wanderers who lack purpose in life. And all you're doing is existing. You're not living. Thomas also missed the blessing of power. At the first meeting the disciples, uh, uh, disciples, uh, of the disciples, Jesus said in verse 22, notice, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when the church was first born, Jesus told the, the, the disciples to go wait in Jerusalem until you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The disciples were given power, divine power from the Holy Spirit to help them live for Jesus. Am I living for Christ or am I living for myself? The Holy Spirit was given to help them live for Jesus and to serve Christ and to have power over their temptations and their sins and their struggles of life. So many people today are strung out on drugs and alcohol and they suffer from anxiety and depression and mental health issues. Why? Because they can't overcome the issues in this life. This life will wipe you out. It will wipe you out. But Thomas lacked this power for service because he missed that meeting with Christ. He is the power in our life. He's the one who enables us to live for him. He's the one who enables us to get victory over temptation and sin, those things that are displeasing to God. So think about it. When it comes to not going to church and hearing God's word taught and meeting with Christ, remember the great blessings that Thomas missed as a result of not being there. Because it will help keep you from a great loss of blessings in your spiritual life. So we see that, pro that, that Thomas's problem was unbelief. Let's see what the cause of unbelief is. The cause of unbelief is stubbornness. Stubbornness. Listen to what it says in verse 25. Look at verse 25 with me. The other disciples said to him, him being Thomas, we've seen the Lord, Thomas. So Thomas said to them, until, notice, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and I put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his eyes, I, no, I will not believe. Stubbornness. 
That's why most people don't believe. It's stubbornness. The stubbornness of Thomas is emphasized in his statement, I will not believe. Thomas was being very stubborn in his unbelief, just like many people are today. Thomas made it very clear he was absolutely not going to believe unless his conditions were met. Unbelief often criticizes faith for being stubborn. But unbelief can be just as stubborn, just as rigid, if not more stubborn, than faith. But Thomas's unbelief is nothing more than stubbornness. It can be so stubborn that we won't be moved by any argument or evidence. Some people have this attitude. Don't confuse me with the facts. I've already made up my mind. Yeah. I don't want to hear the facts. I've made up my mind. I'm not going to believe. I don't want to believe. The source of his unbelief, the source of Thomas's unbelief was his will. Notice, his will. It was his mind. He said, I will not believe. His unbelief wasn't an intellectual problem. It was a heart problem. His unbelief was like the unbelief of the two walking on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus said to those two on the road to Emmaus, he said, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. The word foolish there speaks of stupidity. Stupidity. To stay in your stubbornness. To stay in my stubbornness. The source of unbelief is the heart, not the head. And there are many, many, especially in the academic field, who think we have to make the gospel appeal to the intellect. They think we have to make it, we, we, it has to make sense in order to believe. We have to be able to prove it in order to believe. Science has become the big God today. Oh, there's, you know, if, if science can't explain it, there, it, there's no reason to believe in it. Well, God is greater than science. There are tons of things that science can't explain. So we can convince the intel, we, so, and, and they want us to, 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 to you know, be able to make it, uh, make it sense and, and be able to prove it so that we can uh, convince the intellectual crowd of our faith and as a result take away the discrediting of our faith by these unbelieving professors and other intellects who teach in worldly colleges and universities. But in fighting unbelief that way, making an intellectual problem, uh, takes it away from being a heart problem. It's a heart problem. And besides, there's plenty of good intellectual evidence and arguments to, to support faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we, we, when we go to school and we've gone to school, there are so many things that we are taught that we never, we, we never saw. We believe the teachers. And that's the problem today in the universities and the colleges. The people go there, they listen to what they have to say without verifying it. And unless you know what the Word of God says, then you're not really educated. 
no matter how many degrees you have hanging on the wall. There are good intellectual evidence that, and arguments that support faith in Jesus Christ. But it's the willful, stubborn heart that keeps people in unbelief. Paul said to the Romans, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. You see, on that day we stand before God. You're not going to be able to say, Well, I didn't know, and I never read the, read the Bible, and I just... God's going to say, Hey, did you look around at the sky and the stars and the moon and the sun and the trees and the flowers and the animals? He says, I gave you plenty, plenty of evidence to show you my divine invisible attributes. You have no excuse. You get stopped by the police or the CHP and he says, hey, uh, what would you stop me for while you were speeding? Oh, I didn't know what the speed limit was. Does that work? Why is God going to believe your excuses? Oh, I didn't know. Well, cop says, if you're going to drive around in my town, you better know the laws. I know that one time when I parked at my mom's house, and I couldn't leave my car out in the street over midnight. Oh, well, I didn't know. He says, sorry. If you're going to park in these streets, you better know what the parking laws are. People don't believe because they don't want to believe. And usually debating with them and talking with the intellects, it's a big waste of time. Why? Because the intellectual approach misses the real problem. It's here. It's not up here. So what we need to do is be diligent in the body of Christ to just tell people what the Bible says and let the Holy Spirit do the work in their hearts. No matter who they are. The Holy Spirit works best when the Word of God is being proclaimed because it's the Word of God that penetrates the hearts. The stupidity of Thomas's unbelief is because in verse 25, notice what it says. The other disciples therefore said to him, said to Thomas, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. I still don't believe. How stupid is that? In spite of these eyewitnesses, the testimony of ten disciples, his, his friends, Thomas still refused to believe. Standing right in front of Thomas, right in front of him were, were ten men who were eyewitnesses who saw Jesus Christ. They were testifying to the fact of the resurrection. Hey, we've seen Jesus, Thomas. They all testified in agreement about the resurrection. No men were more competent witnesses of the resurrection than these ten men. And yet Thomas still ignored their witness. So Thomas's unbelief was very foolish because it rejected the testimony of the most competent witnesses. So unbelief shows how foolish it is because it rejects the best evidence. What is the best witness that a lawyer is looking for in court? Eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. 
So unbelief shows how foolish it is to reject the best of evidence. So what people need is not more facts, but more faith. There are plenty of facts concerning the gospel, but not a lot of faith. And if you ignore the facts about the gospel, your judgment on that day, when you stand before God, it's going to be a horror story. Notice the demand of Thomas's unbelief. In verse 25, look what it says. Thomas says, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, he says, I will not believe. Thomas is demanding the terms by which he would believe in the resurrection. This demanding reflects a lot of pride and arrogance on Thomas's part. And even though God has provided a lot of evidence, Thomas still wanted more. Thomas was totally wrong in doing this. You see, God tells us what the conditions are for faith. We don't tell him. God does his work his way, and he's not going to change his ways uh, and change things just to please you and me if we're um, unbelieving. You must believe according to God's terms, not yours. It's been that way since day one, and it's going to be that, day, that way until he returns. Unbelief focuses on the physical. Thomas wanted to see. He wanted to feel for himself. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight, by touch, by feel. We don't live by our senses. We don't you know, walk with Christ by our uh, senses. But faith has a, faith has a different focus than the senses the writers of the writer of hebrews said faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen it gives us assurance about things we cannot see faith is unseen reality if god said it you can bet it's going to take place it's going to happen faith is also based on god's word the bible paul said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god Now we're going to see Jesus Christ in his persuading of Thomas. And may the Holy Spirit speak to you. And may you allow him to persuade your heart this morning. And not be as Thomas in stubborn unbelief. This meeting with Jesus here in our chapter, in our section, in our, in our passage, totally changed Thomas's heart when it came to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and everything that it implied. It was a momentous occasion for Thomas. And from that day on, Thomas was an eyewitness for Jesus Christ like the others. Thomas was fully persuaded after this experience with Jesus. Look at verse 26 at what it says. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Thomas with them. Notice, Thomas is with them this time. He wasn't there the first time. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and Jesus said, peace to you. At this appearance of Christ, Thomas was now there with the other disciples. Now, in verse 26, notice the way Jesus entered the room. It says, the doors being shut, literally locked. He entered into their midst. The doors were shut, but he still walked into that room where they were gathered. This shows that the resurrected body isn't limited like this physical body is. 
The new body that we will have in Christ, it can move through walls and buildings without difficulty. And the way Jesus entered the room would be a surprise to the disciples. But not this time because they weren't afraid this time because, you know, they didn't think he was a ghost like the first time they saw him. They recognized Jesus immediately this time. And notice that they, we, we will still be recognizable in our, in our new bodies. But they'll be adapted for a different type of atmosphere for heaven. The new heaven and the new earth. But will be recognizable. They recognized him immediately. They weren't trauma, traumatized by his experience. And Jesus said to them, peace to you. And you see, Jesus wants to bring peace to mankind. And he will if men will accept him. But you see, the world does not want Jesus. Every age has shown their hatred for Jesus. And if Jesus was to walk the streets today, they'd crucify him again. The hatred for Jesus is seen in our land today in the laws that forbid prayer in school and in the courtroom. No nativity displays on public land. Don't say Merry Christmas. Don't say Jesus in prayer. And I remember at a, at a city council meeting one time, they asked me to come and do the prayer. They said, just don't use Jesus' name. I said, then I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to pray. See, Jesus offends. We can talk about Buddha, Confucius, and everybody else, Muhammad, and it's not a problem. But you mention Jesus Christ, there's a problem. Why is that? He's God. He's God. Jesus is the, is the key, the key peace to, man, to, to the key to peace. If you leave out Jesus, everybody's happy. And religion, your religion, whatever it is, as long as you don't talk about Jesus, it's acceptable to the world. Put Jesus in it, and hostility breaks out right away. Again, Jesus is the key to peace, but he must be accepted or he won't bring peace to mankind. Again, in verse 27, we see the compassion that Jesus had for this stubborn man. Our stubbornness won't keep Jesus from coming and loving on us and saving us. And it's obvious that the main purpose for Christ's visit was to bring Thomas back into the fold of believers. And that Jesus would make a special visit to help Thomas and would speak to Thomas here especially shows the compassion that Jesus had for him as the same compassion he has for you this morning regardless of who you are, what you've done, what your past is. He, will still, he still has compassion for you because he loves you. Notice what Jesus said in verse 27 to Thomas. He said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put, your, put it into my side. Jesus was totally aware of Thomas's unbelief, even though, he was, even though Thomas wasn't there at the first meeting. See, Jesus being aware of the scene a week before, before Thomas was there, he specified the conditions of faith, clearly revealed that... He, that he has that divine uh, omniscience. He knew of Thomas's need. Omniscience, he's all-knowing. He knows everything about you, your past, your, your, your present, and your future. Jesus is all-knowing. And this knowledge should clearly, showed clearly that Jesus was God and not just man. Jesus humbled himself to meet Thomas's requirement. And this humility to Thomas's demand teaches us two important truths. It showed the humility of Jesus to save, and it shows the help for man to believe. 
Humility was one of the great attributes of Christ's ministry, which climaxed in the humility at Calvary on the cross. In order to save people, Jesus humbled himself and he became a man. He was born in humble surroundings to a lowly couple and he lived a humble life. If it required Jesus to be humble in order to be our Savior, how much more must it require us to be humbled in order to serve him? And then Jesus said to Thomas in verse 27, Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And the Lord says that to us this morning. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas's lack of faith was condemned by Jesus. It was rebuked by Jesus. Don't be unbelieving, God said. Many people today take pride in thinking they're very clever in their reasons for not believing, for not having faith. But God is not going to applaud you for your cleverness in defending your unbelief. He's going to condemn every argument of unbelief because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And Thomas, like many others, thought he was pretty smart defending his unbelief. But Jesus didn't think so. No matter how clever unbelief might present itself, it's still condemned by God. And then after all of this time he had with Jesus here, notice his answer in verse 28. It says, And Thomas answered and said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Can you make that claim this morning that he's your Lord and your God? Jesus got through to Thomas because Thomas went from unbelief to belief in a quick and powerful way. In a moment, in a moment with Jesus Christ, in a moment of honesty, the skeptic was transformed into a worshiper. And in Thomas's confession, my Lord and my God, he said at least three doctrinal truths, great doctrinal truths. In him saying, my Lord and my God, he proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. Acknowledging the presence of Christ by his confession, he indirectly was stating convincingly the fact of the resurrection. He's now a firm believer in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The debate is over. The argument is gone. He's totally convinced. He's no longer a skeptic about the resurrection. Secondly, he proclaimed the lordship of Jesus Christ when he said, my Lord, my Lord. The word Lord means master. He not only admits that Jesus had risen from the grave, but now he goes further and recognizes that Jesus Christ is his Lord and his sovereign. Just before this, he was trying to be Lord over the Lord. He was laying down the terms to Jesus to meet in order that he might become, in order that he might believe. Thomas no longer wants to be Lord. He recognizes Christ's lordship. And third, he proclaimed the deity of Christ when he said, my God. This statement about the deity of Christ is one of the greatest confessions by man about the deity of Christ, which is recorded in the Bible. Thomas called God. I'm sorry, Thomas called Jesus God in front of 10 eyewitnesses, and Jesus did not argue about being called God. The divinity of Jesus is one of the great foundational truths of Christianity. And if you deny the deity of Jesus, you've denied the faith. My Lord and my God. We see in these words the use of my personal pronouns twice. 
my Lord and my God. It shows the personalness now of Thomas's confession about Jesus. Thomas wasn't repeating something somebody else said. This was his personal faith. We have to be sure that our personal faith is just that. It's my belief. It's not my parents' belief. It's not my friend's belief. Faith has to be personal if it's going to do you any good. Thomas made his confession of faith in Christ in front of the disciples. He didn't do it privately. He didn't do it secretly. He wasn't ashamed. He made it a public declaration. People knew where Thomas stood now. He was identifying with Christ. He was saying, I belong to Christ now. I'm a Christian now. I'm a believer now. You see, it's pride that will keep a person from admitting that or, or, or coming, to that eval- to coming to that decision. Pride will keep a person from making a public confession for Christ. And for Thomas to make a public confession of faith in front of the ten disciples was to swallow a lot of pride. Pride will keep you out of heaven. Pride will keep you from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And because Thomas had arrogantly told these same disciples a few days earlier about his unwillingness to believe, he now made an open confession, a public confession of his newfound faith in front of of those who had witnessed his unbelief. But Thomas didn't hesitate to confess Christ in front of those men who could have ridiculed him for his unbelief and the things that he said before. And how many people get ridiculed when when they become a Christian? Oh, they start getting called, oh, you're a Jesus freak. Oh, you've become religious now. And you hear all of the things that are said. But Thomas did not hesitate to confess his faith in front of these men. Thomas confessed his faith, and he didn't care who knew. He didn't care who was listening. Here, Jesus approves of Thomas's faith. But you know what? He praised even more the faith of those who would believe without seeing Jesus like Thomas did. Look at verse 29. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, a lot of people think it would, have, it would have been easier to believe if they'd seen Jesus or if they'd touched him like many did in Jesus' day. But it's not true. All those who have never seen Christ are at no lesser advantage in their position when it comes to their acceptance or their trust. God loves you just as much as anybody back in the biblical days who saw him and touched him. You're at no lesser advantage today. Because we have the word of God, we have the greatest advantage for faith. The word of God being the Bible. Let me close with this quote from the Canadian, uh, Canadian scientist, or a question by a Canadian scientist. The Canadian scientist G.B. Hardy said, When I looked at religion, I said, I have two questions. One, has anybody ever conquered death? And two, If they have, did they make a way for me to conquer death? He said, I checked the tomb of Buddha, and it was occupied. I checked the tomb of Confucius, and it was occupied. I checked the tomb of Muhammad, and it was occupied. I came to the tomb of Jesus, and it was empty. And I said, there is one who conquered death. And I asked the second question. Did he make a way for me to do it? And I opened the Bible, 
and discovered that he said, because I live, you shall live also. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And Jesus, we thank you that you came. And that in humility, you became a man. You came out of the glorious heavens and the, and the stars and the moon and the planets and everything that you created. You stepped out of eternity into time. You put on flesh and blood and you walked upon this earth to show us who God is and what he's like. And Father, we ask now that your spirit would move among us, God. Jesus came and men rejected him and they ultimately crucified him. But he still lives on. He resurrected from the dead for which we celebrate this day. And in his resurrection, he got victory over death and gave us eternal life. And we can have victory over death in that we will have eternal life and we'll spend eternity with him in heaven. Maybe you're here this morning and you're much like Thomas. You have your doubts. You have your unbelief. And you have a strong will. And you've chosen not to believe. But as Jesus said to Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but believing. Don't miss out on the blessings that Jesus has for you. Peace, joy, purpose, power, eternal life. It's only in Christ. And he gives you life, purpose for living, not just existing every day through new experiences and new places and, and, and new jobs or whatever it might be that you feel is, is needful for me. He gives you contentment. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you're watching at home via live stream, but the word of God this morning has spoken to your heart, And you realize it's not an intellectual problem I have, but a heart problem. And you want Jesus to come into your life, to give you eternal life, and to change your life, one that's pleasing to God. If you want that this morning, and as we are praying, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord, Savior, just lift your hand and put it back down. Lift your hand and put it back down. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Awesome. Anybody else? Okay, I'm going to say this prayer out loud, and you repeat it to the Lord with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, please forgive me, Lord. I confess to you, I am a sinner. I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me 
with your Holy Spirit. And help me now to follow you all the days of my life. And thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for me and saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.